Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we need you to show up. What in the world does this mean for us today? So we trust in your good word. We trust in you, Holy Spirit. Would you speak to us now? We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. It is great to have you with us. Well, uh, recently I was asked what my biggest joy has been over the 18 years that I've been here at this church as uh, your missions pastor. And I would have to say, without a doubt, that one of them is definitely New Hope Revival and Alexis Ruhumaritsa. Like, it has just been amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I met Alexis 10 years ago on an impact trip. Alexis was running a school for street kids. And these kids were getting an education for the first time in their lives. They were learning about Jesus, learning how to follow him. So we began to support his school. Then a little over two years ago, Alexis and his family had to leave Rwanda and move here to this area as refugees. Not long after that, Alexis felt God calling him to preach disciple others, and start a worshiping community for East Africans. So he did. And now this multi-ethnic community we call New Hope Revival meets uh, upstairs in the upper campus Sunday mornings, and it's just been awesome. So great to have them here in worship and leading us in all this. See, Alexis is also an evangelist. He's been sharing Christ with immigrants and refugees in our area. And he's meeting with members of Bell Press, helping them find Jesus' life and love in deeper ways. For me, one of the really cool things about this is the Rwanda mission has come home and now it's ministering to us. Today is Global Mission Sunday. It's also World Communion Sunday. It's the day that we join with Christians all over the world in celebrating that Jesus Christ came as Savior for all. And in the passage that we just read, Daniel sees this quick succession of four uh, beasts, one more, uh, more powerful than the next. One as... Uh, uh, is a beast like a lion, and uh, only this one has wings so that it can quickly descend on its prey. The second is like a bear, and it's gnawing on the ribs of its latest prey. The third is a leopard, one of the fiercest hunters, only this one has four heads to make sure it gets the job done. And the last beast is the fiercest of all. There are, however, as we're going through the passage that Ryan read, these hints that maybe these beasts aren't as powerful and as intimidating as they appear. There is someone or something more powerful. The first beast has its wings ripped off. The second beast is told to go, and so it goes. The third beast is given authority. And so we're wondering and left to wonder, like, who is ordering these beasts around? Who's in charge? And just when this dream gets at its worst and all four beasts are bringing terror on earth, verse 9 rolls back the curtain and lets us see the one who is stronger, who is more powerful. Daniel writes, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. Now, this is a dramatic turn of events in this passage because the worst of the beasts is immediately destroyed. Just like that, bam, done, gone. And what is really, really clear 
is that the power of this last beast, which is mightier than all the beasts, is nothing. Nothing compared to the power of the Ancient of Days. The main point of Daniel's vision is God is in charge. Period. Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all in exile. This is not their home. They are powerless over their captors, their lives, their futures. Everything they have known and loved has been radically changed. And they are forced to accept the situation. They can do nothing to reverse what has happened. Nothing. So you'd expect these guys to just kind of mope their way through the book of Daniel. You know, fixated on the latest news release. Obsessed with the most recent Facebook thread. Overwhelmed by the many possibilities of the things that could happen as their world seemingly spirals out of control. But they don't do that. Because what they know that the kings of Babylon don't is that God is in charge. Period. Not kind of, sort of, sometimes in charge, but totally, completely, without rival in charge. See, the book of Daniel shows us again and again and again that we can move in faith, not in fear. Even when life is at its worst, because God, the Ancient of Days, is on his throne, and he is in charge. Now, throw three of them into a fiery furnace, and a fourth man that looks like a son of man shows up to make sure that they are unharmed. Throw Daniel into the lion's den, and God shuts their mouths to keep Daniel safe. You see, they still had to go through the furnace. They still had to stand in front of the lions. But God provided a way, and he delivered them. God is greater. God is stronger than the beasts. So no matter what your situation is, no matter what you are going through, God will find a way. He will bring you through. God is in charge. That's the first point in this message and, uh, that, that Daniel's vision brings. So Daniel goes on. He says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language, what did they do? Say it with me. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Now, that title, Son of Man, is really significant. Jesus refers to himself as Son of Man uh, more than, uh, and uses that term to refer to himself more than any other uh, t title in the New Testament. Like, it's his favorite way of uh, talking about himself. Son of Man is bursting with meaning, and there's a lot that I could say about that, but that's a sermon for another day. What I would like you to see is that the Son of Man is not alone in this vision, right? Like there are every people and every language, and they are there worshiping him. Now, this is a vision of the final days, when God is going to bring his new heaven and his new earth. And there standing before Jesus are multitudes of people from every tribe and tongue. Do, do you see that in this passage? They're all there. 
And what's so significant about that is that God had meant for Israel to always be a light to the Gentiles so that they would know God, so that they could worship God too. But Israel failed to do that. They didn't want to. So when Jesus, the Son of Man, is crucified and risen from the dead, he takes his disciples up on a mountain, and then he commissions them to do what Israel failed to do. And he says, all authority, there's that word again, authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now here's what's going on. Daniel is seeing a multitude of worshipers from every tribe and tongue in the last days. And he is seeing them in the last days because we, the church, obeyed Jesus' commission these days. That is why the book of Daniel is so good for us, especially in these turbulent times. Not just because it reminds us God is in charge so we can have courage, but it also shows us, man, we got a job to do. And that takes courage, especially in times like this. We have been called on purpose for a purpose. We have a mission. God has put us here in this place at this time for such a time as this. So Jesus, the Son of Man, commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations. And there's two really important words in that phrase. The first one is this, ethne. Now, ethne is the word that gets translated in English as nations, but it doesn't mean nations or countries. It means, like it sounds, ethnic people. And Jesus is here talking about ethnic people groups. And that's important because people of the same ethnicity, they naturally live in community together. They share common language, common traditions, common culture. And so Jesus is calling us to disciple the ethnic groups. There are approximately 6,000 of them in our world today who don't have a way of really knowing and understanding that Jesus is the Messiah that has come for all. And when you total that number up, it's about six, uh, 3 billion people, according to the Joshua Project, that researches this stuff. Ethne. Now, several years ago, I spoke at a missions uh, conference at Princeton Seminary. It was a little, bit, a little bit intimidating because, well, smart people go to Princeton Seminary. And all the faculty are apparently related because they have Ph.D. at the end of their name. <laughs> I have a period at the end of my name, so I'm not in the family. The conference organizers invited some other speakers to come. Uh, one was the uh, director of the Presbyterian Mission Agency at that time. Another was a name you may have heard before, Dr. Tony Campolo. Now that's a lineup you don't want to miss. Dr. Tony Campolo and, well, yeah, some guy named Rich Leatherberry with a period at the end of his name. But what I remember most about that conference is that... Um, was a conversation I had with this old retired missionary. 
And I had just spoken on missions as the narrative thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation uh, and uh, runs throughout all of Scripture and how the Great Commission really isn't a new mission that Jesus is giving to his disciples, but it's really an emphasis on the, great, on the Father's great mission that Jesus has been about all along. I was feeling pretty good about what I had to say, so as this guy stood up, I thought, well, he's just going to come up and kind of pat me on the back a little bit. It's <laughs> not what happened. <laughs> Ever have moments like that? I expect this, and I got what? <laughs> so the man comes up and he says with a tone that I will never forget. He says, Whenever you teach the Great Commission, don't forget the ethne. You must teach Jesus' mandate to go make disciples of all ethnic people groups. Now, the backstory on him is that he and his wife had given their lives to mission and served in mission in Africa as missionaries. And when they were young, their hearts were broken by the fact that some people will never hear about Jesus unless someone goes to live among them and share the gospel. So they went. And those years were challenging years. They were some of the best years of their lives. God was faithful, and they got to see a spiritual breakthrough in that particular area, people coming to Christ, so much so that when we talk about the church in Africa and the way that it is exploding, it's because of the faithful work of missionaries like that man and his wife. So his point to me was that Jesus had ethnic people groups like the one he was living in uh, and among. He had them in mind when he gave this great commission. And unless we call people to go to the ethnic people groups, then they will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. See how that works? If we're just thinking countries, we can think, well, that people are Christian there. You know, we don't need to focus on that country anymore. But if we're focusing on people groups, it gets much more specific. And we begin to see there are many people who don't know about Jesus. So I'm telling you, remember the, remember the ethne. The second important word is disciple. One of the most significant things we notice about Jesus' ministry is that he didn't do it alone, did he? Like he spent a significant amount of his time in life-on-life relationships with 12 other men he called disciples. Now, granted, one of them was a bust. Like, uh, you know, but God, the Ancient of Days, was even able to use Judas for God's ultimate purposes. Catch that. God is in charge. But these disciples would see Jesus' life up close, know what brought him joy, experience what brought, uh, broke his heart, see his love for the Father and his great compassion for all people. Jesus was literally infusing them with his life and his character, reproducing himself in those disciples. And then, and this is really important, then he commissions them to go and make disciples. So the first 11 would then do exactly what Jesus had done for them. They would invite a few to be in life-on-life relationships. They would um, infuse uh, the life and character of Jesus into these. And once that life and character had been reproduced, then they would go and make disciples among the ethne. They would invite a few people to be in life and life relationships and reproduce Jesus' life and character in them. And then 
Once that has happened, then they would go, and the next would go, and so on, and so on, and so on. You know what we call a movement like that? Revival. That is why, especially during turbulent times, we have a job to do. Reproducing Jesus' life in others. Disciples who are making disciples, bringing revival. The Great Commission is actually Jesus' strategy for reviving our world, reaching every ethnic people group, creating a disciple, reproducing disciples movement that would grow exponentially until there are disciples from every tribe, every people, every language, worshiping the Ancient of Days. That is what Daniel saw. So let me talk about some ways that we can participate in this great commission. It's not an option. So how can we participate with our own life, uh, own lives? And there's three ways. The first is go without going. Now I'm hoping some of you are breathing a little sigh of relief. You're like, how in the world am I going to go and move and be with these people and stuff? I get it. Totally. So does Jesus. Go without going. And one of the ways you can do that is sponsor a child. Like sponsoring a child helps your family make a direct impact on the life of a child in need. And many of our sponsors tell us over and over again that sponsoring a child is actually changing their life. Now, all these sponsored kids are uh, with our supported ministry, so we're able to kind of monitor it. And the Legacy Foundation, which is really cool, it's, uh, they are going to be matching all of the sponsorships that happen today. So sponsor a child or pray. Pray for an ethnic group and for a breakthrough. Or educate and involve your kids. Like meet one of our mission partners out in the lobby today and learn what they're doing. See how you can get involved in what God has invited them into. So that's the first, go without going. You can also go without staying. Sign up to be part of an impact team. Now, an impact team is one of the best experiences we have to offer as a church in discipleship formation. Now, we're going to be sending out a lot of impact teams, uh, particularly to areas that have been impacted by the hurricane. And so you can find out more about that in the lobby. Or when you're traveling, you can connect with a missionary or ministry. We can help you with that. If you're a high school student or you are a young adult, plan to go to Urbana in 2018, December of 2018. So that's the second way, go without staying. And the third way is go and stay. So do that. No. Uh, <laughs> our church sends out missionaries for all kinds of periods of time. Like Brian Loss is a high school student who lived in Nicaragua for a month this year and served a ministry partner. How cool is that? Lizzie Blake is a young adult who's been in Bolivia for 10 months, and she's going to be returning uh, not too long, in not too long. Katie McCracken is another young adult who just returned after serving in the UK with Youth for Christ. If you sense God calling you to go and stay, we in the, on the missions team would love to talk with you. So those are three ways that you had to check. That's <laughs> like had a funny sensation in my hand at that moment. Those are three ways that you can participate in this great commission. Now, impact teams from Bell Press starting to go, started to go to Cambodia when we adopted the Khmer as an unreached people group. 
A few other churches, uh, uh, along with us, we created a strategy to develop young Cambodian leaders. Uh, and these leaders, they would take classes, they would serve in various ways uh, among the poor, and they would be discipled by other leaders who were infusing the life and the character of Jesus Christ in them. Uh, it's a two-year program. Now, graduates from this program have moved on, and they are doing some really amazing things. Some of them moved into some of the poorest communities in Cambodia, and so they're helping folks there find the materials to build homes, to drill wells to get clean water, and uh, to build schools. Many of the people living there have, uh, have started following Jesus Christ. And so now these uh, young leaders, they have this terrible problem. Like, what are they going to do? So they're converting schools on Sunday into church. And they're pastoring now these uh, congregations of new followers. Several graduates are working in organizations that are focused on peace and justice in Cambodia. And another graduate uh, it planted a church right next to Phnom Penh University. And students are hearing about Jesus for the very first time. One of the impact teams we sent there uh, helped train their worship team in order to be worship leaders. And uh, in just a couple of weeks, we're sending Ryan away with an impact team. And they're going to be uh, working with the pastor there and some other leaders to understand some of what we've been learning around faith, culture, and work. Now, this leadership training program has produced disciples who are reproducing disciples filled with the character and the life of Jesus Christ. And now, now as a result of the work of missionaries and partnerships like ours, there are so many Khmer Christians that the Khmer people have been taken off the unreached people group list. Discipleship movements happen when we believe, really believe that God is in charge and that we have a job to do. It's happening today in Africa, in Southeast Asia, in the Middle East, and throughout Europe. Jesus is on the move. The church is being faithful to Jesus' commission these days. So some from every tribe, language, and um, people will be standing in front of the throne, worshiping the Lamb in the end days. So here's your homework. Pray, Jesus, show me what part of the Great Commission you want me to be part of. Or talk with one of our mission staff who can help you take the next step. Or meet our missionaries in the lobby and connect with them in one of them. Just pick one. Connect with one of them in a deeper way. So, Jesus, we worship you. You are the Savior for all. Jesus, thanks for this word. Thanks, Holy Spirit, for the way that you move in our lives. Help us to hear your voice and respond. Be part of this great commission that some from every tribe, every language, every people would finally and ultimately be before you, worshiping you for all time. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.